So a lot is going on in this season, but a new season is a new and fresh opportunity uh, to surrender our agendas and our priorities and everything going on in life over to God, which is what we are going to discuss today as we talk about relinquishment, which is a word that if you say it 10 times fast, like I'm going to do in this sermon, it's a little difficult. So y'all can pray for me. Uh, but before we dive in, let's pray together and then we will, we'll jump into discussing relinquishment. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship in this place. We glorify you and we praise you just for the opportunity to commune publicly um, and honor you. Thank you for being present. And I pray, Lord, that as we as we hear from you, Lord, that you would open hearts, open minds in this space, God, that you would uh, just be with every person in this room and that they would leave here knowing one great truth about you, God. I pray that you'd be with me, that you would help me speak clearly, Lord, so that I can communicate your message well. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, we are discussing relinquishment today. And this is a concept where we seek to leave behind, give up, surrender the things of this world in order to make room in our life where we are intentionally seeking God with that space. And we are aiming to grow closer to him as we develop our faith journey. Often we try to control the things that are so important to us because these are usually the things in life that are contributing to our identity. They are the things in life that are contributing to our meaning. We try to control our finances, our career, our success, our reputation, our status, our families. The list goes on and on and on. But this is no way to live when the flip side is relinquishing control to God and letting go of what we are clinging to, understanding that God can do way more with whatever we're clinging to than we possibly could. Before we jump too far in, let me be clear that relinquishment is not sitting back and just like letting go of all your responsibilities and telling God that, that he can reign and do everything that you're supposed to be doing. No, relinquishment is inviting God into the process and allowing his agenda to reign in our lives. So we are going to see this played out in scripture as we explore the story of Gideon, specifically how Gideon submitted his idea of the future of Israel to God and um, let God use him. We're also going to look at how Jesus relinquished control to God a bit later. So to start, we will be in the book of Judges, chapters 6 through 8. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or in your smartphone, Judges is the seventh book in the Old Testament. It comes right after Joshua. And like I said, we're going to look at the story of Gideon, who is this young man from the tribe of Manasseh. And basically, throughout this story, we're going to learn how God would use him, as he relinquished control, he would use him to deliver Israel from their idolatry and also deliver them into freedom. So the Sparknotes version of what has happened up until this section of Judges, up until Gideon's story, is that the nation of Israel is sort of in this in-between phase. So previously, Joshua led the 12 tribes of Israel to Canaan, and he allocated land to all of them, but they've yet to become a monarchy. That doesn't happen until 1 Samuel. And so during this season, the people of Israel are unfaithful to God, they keep messing up, they repent, and then each time God sends them a new judge. This is basically a cycle that happens over and over again. And so we are picking up the story uh, where Gideon sort of steps into this role and leads the people of Israel out of oppression. Where we are picking up the story, the Israelites are being oppressed at the hand of the Midianites. 
So we are in Judges 6, starting at verse 11. Scripture reads, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So you read that right. Gideon is actually questioning the angel of God and saying, If the Lord is with us, then why has all this terrible stuff happened to us? But what Gideon isn't realizing is that God never left the people of Israel. The people of Israel left God. He completely overlooks the importance of personal accountability, and he blames God for Israel's failing. We're at verse 14. It reads, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So Gideon is bold. He now questions the direction from God, and in spite of God's promises for strength, which he already made, Gideon makes excuses about the weakness of him and the weakness of his family, his clan. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites leaving none alive. So God tells him again that he will be with him. He will give him the strength that he needs. And then Gideon does something pretty interesting next. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside. He prepared a sacrifice and he brought them out and offered them to God under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. And when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. So Gideon goes away. He brings back his offering, and God turns it into fire right before his eyes. In the Old Testament, fire was symbolic of the Spirit of God being present. So Gideon is alarmed, to say the least, but he knows from this interaction that he was truly interacting with the Spirit of God. He tests what he was receiving from God to make sure that it was truly from God and not, not from himself. It's almost as if Gideon is recognizing the sins of the people of Israel. He's recognizing not to rely on his own human understanding, but to test what he was receiving as being from God. He's aiming to discern God's will and God's direction as he moves forward. Similarly, when we relinquish control to God, we practice discernment too, as we seek to be able to grasp what is of us, what is of God, and the difference between the two. 
Discernment involves more than good judgment. It involves more than relying on open doors. It is more than practicing sound decision-making skills or making a pros and cons list, uh, which I struggle with. I kind of wish that God would just speak through my pros and cons list sometimes. But what we see from Gideon is that discernment comes from being personally acquainted with God. It's an interaction with God where he seeks him with intentionality and he asks the Spirit of God to direct him and guide him. So relinquishment then begins with discerning God's will. Just like Gideon had an experience with the Spirit of God, Scripture tells us that when we are discerning God's will, the Holy Spirit is going to step in and the Holy Spirit will lead us into that same truth. We see this in John 16, verse 8. It says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So we can trust that as we practice discernment, the Holy Spirit is going to guide us. This is what Scripture tells us. Step one, then, of relinquishment is trusting the Holy Spirit to lead us in his will and discerning his intentions for our lives. But how do we do this practically? Well, practically, when we are aiming to seek God's will in a specific situation or circumstance, a season that we might be in, this might look like focusing all of our attention to God in prayer and asking to see his agenda for our lives. And then we test what we receive from God by comparing it to what we know to be true about God. So this might look like comparing what we receive to God to what we see in Scripture. Or it might mean asking those you trust in the church, in the faith, what they think about something that you've discerned from God. Or it might look like comparing it to the characteristics of God that we see in Jesus' life in the Gospels. And then after practicing discernment, this leads us to submission to God's will. Back to Gideon, we didn't know much about him as we were jumping into this scene, but we know uh, from Scripture that he was likely scared of the Midianites. Uh, there would be no reason for him to be threshing wheat in a wine press. I am an amateur farmer, but I know that when you are threshing wheat, you basically, you want the chaff to fall off and get blown away. So usually you would do this outside. It makes no sense that he would be hiding in a pit in a wine press unless he was afraid of the Midianites raiding his harvest. So we can assume that he is fearful. Um, he didn't know what the future of Israel would look like. He thought that God had abandoned his nation and him and his family. We read that earlier. But Gideon decides to let that go and relinquish what he was holding onto after he learned of God's plans and discerned that they were truly from God. Gideon then shows us that the second piece of relinquishment is about submitting to God's will. When we relinquish, we give up our control, our thoughts about the future, and we submit ourselves to God, recognizing that God's agenda is going to be greater than our own human understanding of the future. In our world, we often look at submission, and a lot of us shake our heads at it. We think that it is something only of weakness, or it is the result of force, but usually when we're thinking about submission that way, we're not actually thinking about submission, we're thinking about oppression. 
right? Because the biblical model of submission is a million miles away from that understanding. In the biblical model of submission, we recognize how much God loves us immensely and knows the best possible course for our lives. And because of his grace, we then have the opportunity to submit ourselves to God, to submit our plans to God and release that control. So it's actually, it's a gift that we've been given to be able to do this. But again, we have to recognize that we worship a God who only wants healthy and good things for us, a God who craves to be in relationship with us for eternity. And submission allows us then to bow our intentions for the future and ask God to reign, recognizing that perfect love and actually submitting ourselves to the truth of who he is. So how do we do it? Let's go back to Gideon. So we are picking up at verse 25. It says, That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So here he is referring to an idol. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. So to recap, we see Gideon surrenders to God and what he has planned. He discerns his will, right, after an interaction with the Spirit of God. And what we see next is that he removes what is getting in the way of Israel being able to come close to God. Gideon tears down the idols that his father and his family had been worshiping so that they could submit their lives fully to God. So we're seeing that submission involves removing the idols that are competing for our attention. Now, real quick, let me remind you that earlier, God told Gideon that he was going to save Israel out of the Midianites' hand, and Gideon responded by commenting on how small his clan was. So we know that Gideon's mind was only on going to battle. He was not thinking at all about these idols or the implication of having these idols. But because he submitted his will to God, he realized that this was not just about the battle with the Midianites, This was so much greater. He had to not only save Israel from the Midianites and their power, but he had to save Israel from themselves and the idols that they were worshiping around them. And this happened because in submission, we don't lose our freedom. Gideon was not losing his freedom. But our freedom and understanding become aligned with God's agenda. Just like Gideon's mind became aligned with God's agenda. When we submit to God, we are actively choosing for God's agenda to reign in our choices, in our decision-making, in our relationships, in our vocations, in all of our decisions. And so as we think about this practically then, the next step for us is recognizing the things in our lives that are competing for our attention. What is defining your time? What has become an idol in your life? We can't submit to God until we turn over the idols that are getting in the way of God's agenda becoming our agenda. And so after Gideon did this, we just read, what did he do next? He worshiped God, right? After each and every step, he's coming and worshiping God with an offering. This shows us that worship is going to be this 
common theme throughout our entire faith lives. It's something we always have to go back to. And then the story goes on, and in chapter 7, Gideon gets ready with his men to go to battle, and God speaks in chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me, saying, my own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. They went home. Well, 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you. So Gideon took the men down to the water and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues. Which is kind of an odd way to separate people into groups. But we, we trust God. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that have lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So fast forward a bit. Gideon then separates them into three companies of 100 each. And then he says to these three companies in verse 17, watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. And then the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp, the Midianites, to turn on each other with their swords. If Gideon would have had his own way, he would have gone to battle with 32,000 men, instead of just 300, and no actual promise that he could have won. But as he relinquished control, as he discerned God's plans and submitted his control to be in line with God's agenda... His 300 people didn't even have to draw one sword to defeat the Midianites. They just ran in panic and confusion and ended up turning on each other with their swords. God is demonstrating to Israel and to us that victory does not depend on what we bring to the situation. It depends on obedience and submission to God's greater plan. So what does submission actually look like practically for us? It's turning over our plans to God, just releasing them to him, being a good follower and seeking to be trained, practicing humility, laying aside the need to be in charge and being eager and willing to learn and grow in God's ways. But if you're anything like me, I look at scripture and I look at how God interacts with the various characters of the Bible, and I get frustrated because things are stated very matter-of-factly. I get frustrated that scripture doesn't document what was going through Gideon's mind throughout the discernment process. It doesn't document uh, how he struggled with this inside his head, and it doesn't document you know, how he actively discerned the will of God and that thought process as he submitted his plans to him. And I think we often assume then that this process of relinquishment, it's supposed to be an easy one, right? We assume that since it's from God, 
it should be easy and accessible to us. And that if it's not easy, then it must just not be applicable to this season of my life or this situation that I'm walking through. And then we assume that it's just going to be easier for us to maintain control, to keep giving our attention to the idols in our life, then release them with open hands to God. But there's no promise in Scripture that seeking God's will and submitting to him is going to be easy. We need to expect relinquishment to be challenging. In fact, even Jesus himself walked through these challenges. On the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He went there with his disciples. And as he was praying in solitude, the Gospel of Luke tells us that this was so challenging. He was in such great anguish that as Jesus prayed, Scripture says his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And he cried out to God, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Jesus was asking if things had to be this way. He was asking if God could take this burden from him. But he had already discerned God's plan, and he knew that he was called to submit to the will of the Father. Because then he prayed, yet not what I will, but what you will. Yet not what I will, but what you will, God. Jesus, who is fully God, simultaneously shows relinquishment. And throughout Scripture, we see all three parts of the Trinity just consistently submitting to the other parts. And Jesus shows us here that struggle is an essential feature of relinquishing to God. Mark chronicles Jesus praying the same thing repeatedly, asking God multiple times. And we know that Jesus could have avoided the cross, right? He was fully God. But instead, he freely chose to submit his will to the will of the Father. Philippians 2, verse 6 through 7 says that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And the coolest thing about all of this is that it is by the very grace of Jesus, right? It is a result of him relinquishing this power, being the ultimate sacrifice, that we can come to God too. It's by his very grace that we can come to God too, and we can then discern his will, submit our plans to him, and relinquish control of the things that we are holding onto so tightly in our lives as we try and try and try again to carry our own future. It is by the grace of God that we can turn over our fears about the future, our concerns about our finances, our worries about our relationships, our anxieties about our careers, our fears about things that are going on in our families. It is because of God's grace we can come to him freely, just like Jesus did, and relinquish control to him. No matter what situation you might be walking through, no matter what season you are struggling to get to the end of, we know that God's will is far better than our will, and we can release that all to him. And when we do this, we not only make room for God's agenda to be active in our lives, but we recognize that ultimate goodness of God that we talked about before and proclaim that God's ways are better than our ways. And as we do this, we're able to create 
hope in our future. Relinquishment creates a new hope for our future and the seasons that God has planned for us. And so we must pray to recognize and relinquish anything that is taking priority in your life over God's perfect will and know that it's not about giving something up. It's about gaining something even better than we can imagine and finding a new hope in that ultimate truth from God. So I've touched on two disciplines here that can lead to relinquishment, both discernment and submission. We've looked at the life of Gideon. We've looked a little bit at the life of Jesus. And I would encourage you that as you're reading your Bible, as you're looking at these different characters' lives, think about what they're teaching you. What are the seasons that they are walking through? We've learned from Gideon that relinquishment begins with discerning God's will. We want to let go of control of things. First, we have to sit with God and discern his will for the future. And then relinquishment involves submitting to God's will. And as we do that, we have to accept the fact that it's not always going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. But ultimately, we know that relinquishment creates a new hope for the future. And so I would encourage you to explore these areas and other disciplines more deeply if you are craving that relinquishment, if you are craving to just open your hands and let go of what you are clinging onto so tightly during this season. As you let go of the idols of this world that are begging for your attention, you're not only going to feel more at peace, right? You'll have that joy and hope for the future, but you're also going to be creating space for God to reign in your life, and then in turn you're going to be growing in your faith. And so what we've done uh, as as we want you all to be able to practice these things and, and leave church on Sundays and actually take what you have learned and transform your faith life a little bit, grow closer to God, we've assembled a few resources on our website that walk you through uh, various spiritual disciplines and talk more about the themes that we're going to be walking through as we go throughout this series of Habits of Grace. And so if you are wanting to learn more about relinquishment or any other any other discipline that we're going to talk about, you can go to thetablechurch.org slash resources. And uh, at the top, you'll see under spiritual disciplines, there are four amazing uh, books there that you can take a look at. So as we close today, I want to read a prayer by Richard Foster. And this is titled The Prayer of Relinquishment. So would you all bow your head, close your eyes, and pray with me now. Today, O Lord, I yield myself to you. May your will be my delight today. May your way have perfect sway in me. May your love be the pattern of my living. I surrender to you my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, as you will. I place into your loving care my family, my friends, my future. Care for them with a care that I can never give. I release into your hands my need to control, my craving for status, my fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil, purify the good, and establish your kingdom on earth, not for my sake, but for Jesus. It is in his name that we pray.